I've been reading recently the story of Maria Augusta Kutschera. She had her family living in Tyrol, Austria, and her mother was pregnant with her, and her desire was to be in Vienna at the hospital when her baby was going to be born. Well, when she finally started going into labor, she went down and hopped on a train to get to Vienna. But she'd waited a little too long, and it was along the tracks there on the, they traveled that Maria was born. That meant that the conductor became the doctor. And in the end, the baby was fine, Maria was fine, and so was her mother. And she was just so thrilled to have a beautiful little baby girl. Maria was so blessed, so blessed to have a mother and father and a happy little family. And that's what she was growing up there in until when she was three years old, her mother became ill and she passed away. When, her, when she was seven, her father passed away. And Maria was now sent to an aunt and an uncle who had no children. They had no desire to have children. They were very stern and they were very strict. They were atheist. And her uncle told her as a child, do not believe anything in the Bible. Everything you read in the Bible is a lie. Obviously, they didn't go to church, so she had no friends from there. She was not allowed to have friends coming over to the house. Growing up, went from this wonderful little family with a mom and dad who loved her so much to a very difficult period. She would look back on this as a, as a black and dark period in her life. For nine years, until she was 16 years old, and when she turned 16, she ran away from home. She went to Vienna to the State Teachers College, and she wanted to be a teacher. She had progressed far enough in her studies. She was able to be enrolled. She began to study. And then one morning, she heard beautiful music. Now, she loved music. And she wanted to go hunt down this beautiful music. It turned out that it was Bach, and it was actually coming from the chapel. Well, she went to the chapel, and it was kind of a mini Bach concert, you see, it was actually Palm Sunday. And so she went in and she listened to the beautiful music. And then a young priest stood up and he began to tell the story of Jesus and the story of Palm Sunday. It was a story that she had never heard before. And as she listened to the story, it just resonated with her heart. It just spoke to her. So much so that when she left that day, she wanted to learn more about this story of Jesus. She wanted to learn more about God. And as she learned more and more, she began to change in her perspective and decided that she really didn't want to be a teacher. She wanted to dedicate her life to serving God. She wanted to be a nun. So she went to the abbey there and became a postulate, someone who is in training, waiting to see if they can take their vows to become a nun. And that is where we start the story of the sound of music. We pick up with Maria there in the abbey, thinking she had wanted to be a teacher, but now wanting to be a nun. And this is all of the backstory that actually led to that day. This morning, in our sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway, I want us to be looking at the wonderful musical, The Sound of Music. Maria came to faith through music. 
and music can touch your soul. We know what was happening to her and about the story because Maria would write the book, The Story of the Von Trapp Family Singers. Jumping ahead, George, her husband, the captain, would actually pass away in 1947. The book would come out in 1949, and it was a big hit. People loved reading about the struggles and all the issues that this family had gone through in World War II. Well, by the early 1950s, the family was struggling financially. Maria was the mother of 10, living there in Vermont, figuring out exactly how to keep everybody together and to make it all work. And so it was Mac Richtel, a German filmmaker, who offered to buy the book, the rights to the book. And he offered her $10,000 and then beat her down to nine. And she didn't understand when she signed the contract that she was actually signing away all rights and royalties forever on her story if it was made into a musical or a movie or anything else. He took advantage of her for $9,000 and he had the rights. He made a movie. It was successful in German. But then it was a uh, Howard Lindsay and a Russell Krauss, men back here in the United States who had been reading the book, they liked it and they got the rights because they thought this would be a good play. And so in the early 1950s, they started working on a play of The Sound of Music. But since it was a story about the Von Trapp family singers, they thought, you know, we probably ought to include at least a song. And then they worked on it more and more and they thought, we might need two songs. And they worked on it a little more and thought, you know, there probably ought to be some original works. This maybe ought to be a musical. So they turned to Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein. By then, Oscar Hammerstein and Richard Rogers had become incredibly successful and famous. Do you remember the very first musical from Rogers and Hammerstein? Oklahoma. Oklahoma was their very first musical. And with Oklahoma, they changed musicals on Broadway forever. In the past, what you would do is you would have a storyline, and then to make it a musical, you threw in one number for entertainment. Rodgers and Hammerstein came along, and they made music a part of telling the story. And it just was totally different than anything they'd ever seen on Broadway before. And so it changed how musicals would be performed forever. Oklahoma, Rodgers and Hammerstein. They went on to write Carousel, South Pacific, King and I. And the last one that they would write together would be The Sound of Music. They got it. They started working on it, writing the songs. They loved it. Well, whenever you finally have a musical done, you're going to take it to Broadway, but before you do, you usually take it somewhere else for just a little while, a few weeks, a couple months, in order to try it out, and you listen to the critics and feedback from the audience, and you kind of see how it's going, and you kind of tweak it before you go to Broadway. So they took it to Boston. Sound of Music went to Boston, 1959. And there it was performing, and it received good reviews, and they were pleased. But Rodgers and Hammerstein, as they watched it night after night, they felt something was missing. Something was still needed. 
And so they decided what it needed was a, an old um, Austrian folk song. That's what it needed. So they decided to write one. A genuine old Austrian folk song. Something was just missing. And so they had Theodore Bickel, who was playing the part of the captain. You remember uh, Mary Martin played the part of Maria. Well, Theodore could play the guitar and sing, and so they decided to write a guitar piece for him to sing, more like the Austrian festival. Well, they went back to their hotel, which is across the street. It was the Ritz-Carlton. And they went back to their hotel room and sat down and thought, we've got to come up with a piece of music. It was 11 days before it was supposed to open in Broadway. 11 days ahead. And they went and sat down and they thought, why don't we write it about a white flower? It's high up on the mountains. That young men are supposed to climb the mountains and get out on the rocks and the cliffs to gather up the Edelweiss. You would do it and bring it back to your loved one to show I am, I'm strong, I'm courageous, I'm not afraid, I will dream dreams, I will love you forever. And so they wrote the song Edelweiss in one day. Wrote it in one day, added it in, and it was awesome. It was perfect, exactly what they needed towards the end of the, of the musical. So they opened on Broadway, and again, it opened to rave reviews. Theodore Bickle one night had cut through performing, Change and was leaving the theater coming out of the, the door and of course people will stand around to greet them and ask for an autograph whatever and one of the nights he came out and there was a group of people from Austria they'd come to New York City and they came to see the musical The Sound of Music and when they came out they said we just wanted to say to you how much we enjoyed and appreciated getting to hear a song from our childhood Okay, okay. I know people loved it. As I said, it was the last musical that, that Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein would ever write. The reason was because Oscar Hammerstein had stomach cancer. And when the musical opened, he was already sick, and he would die nine months later. Which means the last song that he ever wrote was Edelweiss. And the last word of the song that he wrote was, forever. The Sound of Music was really a musical about climbing mountains, facing the obstacles of life, having the courage to dream, keeping your heart open to love, forever. It's why I chose Psalm 121 today as we continue on with this sermon series. I want us to look at the sound of music and Psalm 121. In the Bible, there are 150 psalms. That's what we have, 150 psalms. And whenever they run a survey about people's favorite psalms, you know which one's going to win first. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But almost always, the one that comes in number two is Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, this psalm is considered a traveling psalm. You see, the psalms are actually songs that were used in worship 
but they could also be used in traveling. You could chant them, say them, sing them. And this was considered a traveling psalm. That as you went along, I lift up my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. A traveling psalm. And I believe it's a psalm that tries to say, you can find the strength to confront your hills, your mountains. You can find the courage to dream your dreams and to keep your heart open to love forever. I want us to look at the sound of music in Psalm 121, and I want to say just two things. First of all, I think the psalmist is trying to say, remember the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where your help comes from. Remember the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where you find your hope. Whenever I go to a funeral, and I'm maybe conducting the funeral, and someone else will be reading scripture and will read this psalm, I see how often it's misread. It will be read, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence does my help come? There's the pause, and it's making it sound like, I lift up my eyes to the hills, that's where I find inspiration, I find my strength, I find my hope. And who of us has not been to the mountains and looked across the mountains and felt inspiration? But that's not what the psalm is about. The psalm is, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now you're traveling. I'm looking at the hills, walking up the hills. The hill is the obstacle. The hill is the problem, the struggle. It's the mountain in front of me. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. So the question is, from whence does my help come? And the psalmist answered it in the very next line. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's what the psalmist wants us to remember. Because we all face struggles. And if you forget that you have the strength that comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, it's easy to become discouraged and given to despair. The struggles you may face with your health, struggles financially, struggles in relationships. We all face mountains. We all face great struggles. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, whenever you think about the sound of music, my guess is if you're thinking about Maria, you don't think about Mary Martin. Now, Mary Martin played it on Broadway, and she played it before thousands and thousands of people very successfully. But my guess is when you think of the sound of music and Maria, you're going to think about Julie Andrews in the movie. It came out in 1965, and she's been viewed by millions and millions for 50 years. What an interesting story for Julie Andrews. Born in 1935 there in London, her mother and father got divorced when she was like three years old. Her new father, Ted Andrews, and her mom, they both were involved in theater, and they both had a problem with drinking, and they had volatile timbers, and the family struggled. They did not make much money. And, and Julie said, basically, we grew up in a slum there in London. It was difficult growing up. As a small child, and then you had World War II that came along, 
And as a child, she's hearing the sirens and the, and the bombings at night and running for, the, for cover. I mean, that's what she grew up with, the bombings of London, the devastation. She was 10 years old when finally the war would end, and everybody started going back to the theaters again, and an interesting thing happened. She started singing with her mom and dad. And when she sang, people stopped what they were doing to listen. At 10 years old. It's kind of like, who is that? The other people, they'd be up wandering around, talking, whatever. Julie sang, they stopped. And so at 11 years old, 12, 13, she became in demand because if she was announced to be singing somewhere, people flocked to go hear her. She became the draw. By 14 years old, she was making real money. And she recalls the day when she was 14, riding with her mom, and her mom was sobbing because of struggles with her husband, struggles with finances, struggles with alcohol. And Julie put her arm around her mother and said, don't cry. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. It's all going to be all right. 14 years old, she was moving from child to caretaker. And literally at 14, she began making enough money to lift the family out of poverty and take care of her mom and dad. She was that much in demand and that good. She auditioned for a New York musical. The boyfriend, 19 years old, she came to New York to be in her first production. It's there that she got noticed and she was offered the role Eliza in My Fair Lady. And that's where she really became known. Now people were seeing Julie Andrews in My Fair Lady playing the part of Eliza. And then they said they're going to make a movie of it. And she wanted to play that in the movie. But the director felt like, no, no, we need a bigger name to carry the movie. So they turned to Audrey Hepburn instead of Julie Andrews. They said she's an unknown. When they did not invite her to do the movie, it was Walt Disney who came to her and said, I'd like you to do Mary Poppins. And Julie said, well, right now I'm pregnant. And Walt said, I'll wait. She went home to London. She had her first child, Emma. And then she came back to be able to film Mary Poppins. Well, the fascinating thing is Mary Poppins would come out the same year the movie came out of My Fair Lady. And guess who won Best Actress that year for the Academy Award? 30 years old, she was now carrying it. She was the toast of the town. She was amazing. Well, before it came out, before Mary Poppins came out, she was already asked if she would do Sound of Music. And so it was, she came to Austria. As soon as the filming on Mary Poppins was done, she came to Austria there to meet the seven children who'd be the Von Trapp children. And she fell in love with them. Little Gretel, I mean, all of them. She felt like a mother to them. She needed to take care of them and help them while they're filming the movie. And when they were so boring, I mean, sometimes making a movie or just sitting around boring, she would start singing to them, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. They thought she was a genius. <laughs> Mary Poppins hadn't come out. They hadn't heard this anywhere. They thought she was making it up for them. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. She taught them to sing it backwards. Would you like to hear me sing it backwards today? 
not a prayer. <laughs> I saw an interview with the children, and it was 40 years now since they had been on the show, uh, the musical, and, and they said, do you know how to still sing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious backwards? Boom. They didn't hesitate. They had it down. All those years later, they could still remember. Well, of course, Julie would springboard from Sound of Music into project after project for 32 years. And then she was doing Victor Victoria. So much performing and singing. And her voice started failing to perform. She went to a doctor. They looked at her throat. And the doctor said, you've got nodules on your vocal cords. And it could be cancerous. And we need to go in and remove them. And so they did. They said, you'll be able to sing within six weeks. Two years later, she could barely talk. A raspy voice. She didn't have nodules on her vocal cords. She didn't have cancer. Vocal cords had been overused, and there were some knots, and they, if they had just let her rest, she'd have been fine. She had always said, my voice is a gift. She had worked to develop it, but it was a gift. And now that gift, after 1997, was gone. Can you imagine the depression and despair you would go into? But that's not where she wanted to live. How do you have a new dream? Where do you go from here when you've lost a four-octave voice that they said had perfect pitch? She decided she wanted to write children's books. Of all things, she started writing children's books with her daughter, Emma. In fact, this past year, during the pandemic, they started Julie's Library, and it was Emma and Julie reading these children's books, putting them online, so children, whenever they were away because of COVID, could have a story hour and listen to Julie and Emma read them children's books. But when she started doing all this, she would reflect on it and say, early on writing a book, she said to Emma, I miss singing so much. And Emma said, Mom, you have found a different way to use your voice. And Julie said, in that moment I realized the old saying, when a door is closed, God opens a window. She had found her new dream, her new calling, she has written over 30 children's books. Her voice came back enough to be able to act. Princess Diaries 1, Princess Diaries 2. She will never sing like she did. But she found a new dream and new meaning in her life. When a door closes, God opens a window. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's where you and I find our help and our hope. Secondly, we will face mountains. We will face the hills to climb. But the promise is it is God who will continue to lead us from dream to dream to dream, and they will change. 
because life changes. And the dreams that you have at 20 will not be the dreams at 40 or the dreams at 60 or the dreams at 80. Dreams change because life changes. And the promise is that God will lead into that future. If you remember where you find your strength and your hope. I love the way the psalmist ends it. And the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You think about that. It's like the psalmist understands there's the rhythm of life. There's the going out and the coming in. There's the beginning of a dream and the end of a dream. But every ending is also a beginning. And sometimes we forget that. Every ending is also a beginning. And the end of one dream becomes the beginning of a new dream. If we trust that God will lead us, where do we find our hope and our strength? And the God of creation who will lead us, our going out and our coming in from this time forward and forevermore. The story was very interesting about the sound of music. And with it being sold, um, it's sad what, didn't, what the family, the Von Trapp family never got to achieve from it. It was several years ago, Marsh and I were up in Colorado to escape the wonderful heat of Oklahoma in the summer. And we were there when we saw an advertisement, the grandchildren of the Von Trapp family singers singing in the Villar Center in Beaver Creek. We went out and bought tickets immediately. I thought, this is going to be good. And sure enough, the grandchildren of Maria and George Von Trapp and their they were incredible. You can tell some things are genetic. The reason I'm not singing Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious backwards, there are genetics that are needed sometimes for that voice. They had it. Man, could they sing. They were incredible. But the fun thing about the night was they also then gave you the back story. They said, let us tell you about our family and the real story of our family. And I, I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. Sure enough, they said, you know, the story you see in the movie, those are all basically true events in our family's life. They have them told in about a four months time, but they actually took place over 12 years. For instance, it was 1926 when Maria left the Abbey and came to the home in order to take care of Liesel. She had scarlet fever. Captain Von Tropp's first wife died from scarlet fever, taking care of the children. Liesel had it, and so she came to take care of Liesel and started taking care of all seven of the children, and she fell in love with them. After a year, it was time for her to go back to the abbey, and it was the children who went to their father and said, don't let Maria go. And he said, what can I do? And they said, marry her. <laughs> and he said, I don't know if she even likes me. Maria was in the other room up on a ladder cleaning a chandelier and the kids came back and said, do you like our father? Yes, I like him. They ran back to their father. She likes you. <laughs> so he came in and said, will you marry me and be the mother of my children while she's up on the ladder? And she later said, I was so grateful he proposed the way that he did because I really loved his children and I sort of liked him, but she married him because she loved the children. And she would later write, 
I came to love George more than any other person ever in my life. Life went on now. Marie is the mom, a wife, a new dream, something totally different from the dream of being a nun in the Abbey. Now she has a new dream. She's a wife. She's a mother of seven. And over the next couple of years, there are two more children that come along. And now she's the mother of nine. And then a financial disaster comes across the world. 1929 in the United States, well, it got to Europe. Banks were struggling. The Von Trops had their money in Lloyd's of London, in London. Great family fortune. A friend had a bank in Austria and said, we must shore up the banks in Austria. Would you put your money here? And he was so patriotic and so loyal, he got the money from there and put it in the bank. And it failed. And they lost everything. Talk about a new dream. A hill to climb. It was Maria who stepped in and took over and said, we're going to move upstairs. We will do the cleaning, do the cooking. We'll take care of the outside. We will then rent out the, the first floor, the nicest floor. It was the Catholic Church who stepped in and said, we would love to rent it and start a school for children. And so then they sent out Father Franz Vossner. Father Franz Vossner came out to the house to help with the school and be a... Um, uh, working with the kids, and he was a great musician. And he is the one who heard the Von Trapp children sing. Not Herr Detweiler. Herr Detweiler is a fictitious character, really covering for Father Hans uh, Vossner, a Catholic priest. He saw how good they were. He got to teach them. He sent them to the Salzburg Festival, and just like in the movie, they won first place. They got to go to Vienna and sing in front of the chancellor, he was just blown away and said, I want you to sing for Hitler's birthday. And George said, not a prayer. No way. He did not like what was happening. He did not like the way he, that Hitler was treating people. He did not like the values. He had spoken up and said, I won't take a commission in the Navy. I won't fly the Nazi flag. No, I will not sing at his birthday party. He knew at this point, I better get out of here. Just as an aside, Austria, when the musical came out, did not like it. It did not play well there. Because when they saw the musical, they had to confront the fact that very few people were like George. And protesting, almost everybody said yes. And now in retrospect, it made them ashamed. It took years before Sound of Music was popular in Austria. Well, they decided to flee. And we know in the movie, they climb up over the mountains to get away. But that was one place they said, you know, if they had climbed the mountain to get away, they would have landed on the other side in Germany. So when they decided to flee, they actually went down to the train station and got a train and went to Italy. They actually closed the borders the next day. That close, next day. They went to London and then to the United States in 1938. They had $4 in their pocket. Talk about a new dream. Talk about a hill to climb. You've left everything behind, $4. We're in a new country. Father Vassner went with them. He managed them. They got back out on tour, started making money, saving all that they could. 1942, they went to Stowe, uh, Vermont, and there they bought 660-acre farm. And things were looking good. And then 1947, George died of lung cancer. 
Maria had now another child born in the United States. She was now the mother of 10, and George was gone. Talk about a new hill to climb. She figured out how to keep the family together and to keep them singing, to keep them performing, to try to keep the bills paid, writing a book, selling the book. They made it all the way to 1957. And finally the kids, the children, who are the Von Trapp children singers, they finally all said, done. And so they stopped touring and singing and Maria had to find a new dream. She took her three youngest children and she went to Papua New Guinea as a missionary. She had always had such a faith and wanted to be a blessing. Went to Papua New Guinea to work with the poorest of poor. She worked there for eight years. One of her children decided to stay. They loved it so much and they were there for 30 years. But she came back home in 1965. And what happened in 1965? It's when the Sound of Music movie came out. They were making it. The real Maria has a cameo appearance in the movie. They wanted to honor her even if she got paid nothing. She has cameo appearance and there she got to meet Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. And she said to Christopher Plummer, you are far more handsome than my husband. <laughs> she had a good time with it. She went home to Vermont. They turned their house there into a, a hotel, a lodge for skiers, and she continued to work until she was 82 years old when she passed away. A lady who had to confront so many mountains, so many struggles in life, but she was a lady of such faith. She climbed those mountains. She kept dreaming new dreams. She stayed open to love forever. And so can we. I lift up my eyes to the hills, to the mountains. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he will keep my going out, my beginnings, and my coming ends, my endings, he'll keep them from this day forward and forevermore. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. Oh,